Welcome to Talk the Chalk, a sports podcast hosted by John Schreier, where we explore different careers in sports, dive into specific sports topics, and get pro tips from athletes and sports professionals across the globe. If you're an athlete looking for tips on how to navigate through your sports career, an aspiring sports professional, or simply a sports enthusiast, you've come to the right place. Today I'm talking to Ben Lungard. Ben is a USL Championship Club player. He's a goalkeeper for Atlanta United 2, which is an affiliate of the Major League Soccer Atlanta United team. Um, He's going to share a little bit about how good fortune has played a role in his career path thus far and how, um, coupled with hard work and some of the decisions he's made, uh, he's been able to uh, be a first-round pick in Major League Soccer draft and ultimately uh, pursue his dreams on the Atlanta United Club. So uh, really great episode. Uh, I think you'll enjoy this one. So here we go. Ben, well, thank you for joining the podcast today. We'll, uh, we'll get to a few questions today that um, that'll be kind of fun to hear your thoughts on, but you, I, I kind of just wanted to hear uh, your, your perspective on your route to kind of Virginia Tech, um, Atlanta United, and, and when we talked the other day, you kind of accredited luck to a lot of what got you to where you are today. And so I maybe you could just run through like the timeline a little bit and kind of those critical moments that you think you just got lucky and maybe the things you did to put yourself in position to, to be that lucky. Um, yeah. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, I think when we caught up the other day, I think we'll, we'll go with the phrasing of good fortune that you okay. said more, yeah. more than yeah. luck. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Cause some people might not like that, but um <laughs> Back to what I was saying, there is there is a lot of good fortune needed to to get to where I am, and a lot of people wish they could be where I am, and they're not. And it's not completely because they didn't work hard enough or they don't have the skill. It's again back to having a little bit of good fortune. And in my career, I have no issue saying that I had some good fortune getting to where I am. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of hard work that was put in, a lot of hours that were put in, a lot of sacrifices that were made that a lot of other people may not have done. Uh, I don't know, maybe they have, but again, a good, having good fortune is, is definitely a part of it. Um, I grew up in the first state and the very little state of Delaware. Uh, there are no academies and I'll tell you what an academy is later on. Um, it's kind of, it's an MLS affiliate and there were none in Delaware. The Philadelphia union is there now and you could make the commute, but it was not there when I was growing up. So I played in a very small club where it was probably uh, about eight teams, maybe 150 people. So very small in today's world of sports. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get an offer from Virginia Tech, uh, a big time ACC soccer school. And I took it and I went and um, I took advantage of my uh the situation that I was handed there at starting as a freshman playing every game, freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, and senior year. Uh, and that again, helped me get the, the attention that I needed to get to where I am today. 
and get drafted by the Columbus crew. And I spent two years there and then I was let go. And then Atlanta United picked me up and now we're here. I'm a three-year pro. Um, I'm loving it. And uh, yeah, I think I'll go into more depth of all of that uh, here uh, later in the podcast. Awesome. Well, let's, let's touch on one of the points you just made. Cause you just, you said that you went, you started with um, local club, you didn't really have academies. And I think that maybe, um, you know, the, I guess the, just the average sports uh, person kind of has an idea of what those academies might be from like the Europe side of it. Cause we hear about um, like messy traveling to Spain to be in that academy as like a seven or eight year old and then kind of growing up in that system. So, um, so there was nothing like that basically where you were. And, and so how did you, I guess, did, did you feel disadvantaged by that when you were in that, you know, in, in the club you were in, or did you not notice cause you were just a kid and having fun? Um, uh, yes to both of your questions. I, I did not feel disadvantaged at the time because the club scene was still kind of prevalent there. Uh, looking back at it, I now noticed, yes, I was disadvantaged because seeing what some of these academy kids are given. Uh, so to, to give you a little background, an academy is typically an affiliate to an MLS club and the academy teams have the best coaches because they can be paid by MLS clubs. They don't really do tryouts. They more so go and scout because they can pay for scouts through the MLS club. Uh, They just pick the best talent in the area and because they can provide the best coaching, the best facilities, the best um, future for you, they don't really have to do anything else. That's their pitch to you and your parents. They're going to tell your parents, we're going to put him in the best situation possible. We have the best trainers. We have the best coaches. We have the best facilities, everything. And as a parent, you're like, heck yeah. Plus Academy, you don't have to pay. A parent does not have to pay because they're getting funded by the MLS team. Um, A club team, my parents would pay a coach in an organization to coach me. And that coach would pick players from tryout and the tryouts were Johnny and Stevie from down the street. They're not this young prospect. That's an hour and a half away commuting to where he's coming and you're playing on your local high school field type thing. So back then I didn't know I was at a disadvantage because that's all I knew. Hmm. Um, I loved it. I think I had a great team. I had a great experience. I wouldn't have traded it for the world. Uh, When I had already committed to college, that was when the Philadelphia Union started their academy. So driving an hour and a half, uh, four days a week, sometimes five, to be on a team where I've already committed to my future didn't make sense. So I didn't do it. Uh, But when you're being viewed at 14, 15 and 16 from colleges, it wasn't available to me. So I was with my club team. Uh, We trained a lot. And another thing about the academy is the academy will train every single day because they have the funds to do so. A club team will not because you have to pay your coach pretty much per hour. So if you want to train a lot, your parents are pushing in a lot of money into this. And it's kind of a club nowadays. um, 
has kind of lost its figure, you could say, because of these academies and how fast they've grown. So the best talent goes to the academies. And then the clubs, the club teams are left with kind of the scraps. And not saying you can't find a, a diamond in a haystack at a, at a club, but it's just a lot uh, less realistic if you be honest, if you want to be honest. So, and again, being at Atlanta, they have an academy. So I have seen what these kids are getting and how it's so different from when I grew up. Gotcha. Wow. Okay. So, so you're in this situation where, um, you know, you're, you're happy with clubs, you know, playing on the club, but it's not the same exposure that you would get in the academy. And what's, I guess, the next pivot point for you in terms of like Virginia Tech obviously is huge, reputable program. What, how did you stand out? How did you make yourself known to, to coaches or scouts or anything like that? So again, I think I was caught in um, the right area of time where my club was still relevant enough for me to get the attention I did. If it was four years later, the college coaches that were at my games were not there four years later because they were going to watch these academy kids. So we'll call it good fortune. I was in the right time. I was at the right place in the right time. But to have that said, Back when I was on club teams, you'd go to something that was called a college showcase. It's essentially a tournament. You travel far for a tournament, and this tournament tries to find the best clubs all over, say, the East Coast or just the Carolinas, Georgia, Florida, that area, Virginia. Um, and they invite all of these teams. And you're coming to this tournament-style showcase, but you're not going to win anything. You're just playing three games. And college coaches have a list of who's on what team and when your team plays and they can come watch you. So what we would have to do is my mom and I would sit down at her desk before the showcases and we'd get, we'd have a list of all the colleges that are going to be there. And then we compared it to a list of colleges that I was looking at that I thought I would uh, attend. I would enjoy attending that academics that matched mine. Uh, Obviously maybe not Harvard, but you know, (laughs) something in the middle. Um, And so we would look at these lists and we would email the coaches on the teams that where the lists meet, you know? And so we would send out this long email. It was kind of essentially a resume before I had a resume because I was a sophomore in in high school. So I didn't really have a resume. What would my resume say? I live at home. My mom feeds me. (laughs) Um, So you would say, I played at this club. I've played this many games. This is who I am. Um, I'm in my case, I'm this tall, I play these sports. So they should, it shows that I'm athletic and and you're six, five, Uh, by the way. So good goalie height, uh, good goalkeeper height. Yes. So that's something that I want to add because that only benefits me. So you, you give all of this information about you and you don't even hope for a response. You just hope that they see it and maybe show up for five minutes at the game. Uh, it also helped me because a ton of kids on my team were looking to play in college. If you're on a team where nobody wants to play in college, you're going to have a lot less coaches there. So there might be a coach there that is there to see, see your teammate and he sees you and uh, he sends you an email and vice versa. And I'm sure that happened with a bunch of kids on my team because me and my one of my teammates went to the same college in Virginia Tech and then two other teammates went to the same college there. So I'm sure there's a little mixture of coaches seeing multiple players. Um, so you send these emails, you go to these college showcases 
and hopefully they they email you after because they get your contact information and at the time i had some smaller d1 offers and some division three offers and i thought that i could play at a big time division one school and maybe it was kind of like um an eye-opener that i wasn't getting offers from these places so maybe i wasn't quite there and then uh we went to the disney showcase in orlando it's probably the biggest showcase we were going to go to. And you play three games again. And my first two games were, were pretty bad. We're pretty poor. I just didn't, I mean, it wasn't about good, bad reps. There wasn't a lot of action as a goalkeeper, you could say. Uh, and then the third game, I had a really good game. And after that, I think a few days later, I got an email from Virginia Tech. And it was the biggest school that I had an offer from. Not an offer, but attention. Wow. And in soccer, just like any other college sport, different um, leagues or conferences have their best sports. So for the ACC, soccer is very good. Very mm. good. Always has been, always will be. Mm. Uh, just like you think of the Big Ten for college football and Virginia Tech's an ACC school. So that right away got my attention. I uh, did some research. I saw who they were about. I had actually one of my best friends was going to Virginia Tech her older brother was going to Virginia Tech and her older sister went to Virginia Tech. So we had a big, uh, I guess, reference from their whole family of what Virginia Tech was about. My dad and I went on a visit and we just absolutely loved the campus. We loved everything about it. My mom loved the academics, obviously, and it was kind of a wrap ever since. They offered me uh, a partial scholarship and it just ended up that I was that I accepted it and it all it all worked out because I almost, I could have committed to a smaller D3 school or a smaller D1 school and gotten this offer later and not, not knowing about Virginia Tech and I would have been on a completely different path than I am today. Wow. So I want to stop on a couple of things that you just said because that's, that's an awesome story. But you said that you had two mediocre games or not great games and then the third game was kind of where they noticed you. Did they go to those first two games or did they only go to that third game? Um, I honestly don't know. I, it's something that I've never asked them. Uh, <laughs> I would think they did not simply because these college coaches have so much soccer to watch when they're there. I mean, there's games from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Yeah. So they're watching so much soccer. So I would assume they did not. I don't know if that helped me <laughs> if they were like, oh, my gosh, this guy's good today, but he was terrible the other day. I yeah. don't know, but all that matters is they saw me when they needed to see me and we got in contact and, uh, it ended up working out. That's awesome. So talk about good fortune. If they only went to that game, then <laughs> exactly <laughs> not too exactly. bad. But, um, and you also said that, was that showcase, was that as a sophomore or was that one later? I, I think that was early in my junior year of high school. I think okay. that was because then you have the whole, because I committed the end of my junior year. So that it's probably a six or seven month um, process of emailing back and forth of me visiting campus. I visited twice, actually once with my dad and once with my mom uh, to see it at different times of the year, to talk to different coaches and to get, get a strong feel for what the school's about, just so huh. you're not kind of walking into, into this school or team blindly. Okay. Is that, is that kind of the right timing? You felt like the offers were from these colleges usually come in around the junior, junior year or was that early for, for some people or is it just very based on the player? Um, I have no idea why it's like this, but for 
college soccer, you seem to commit around sophomore or junior year of um, high school. And I would, I think I would say senior year of high school is a little late. Okay. But then for some reason in high school, I had friends that played the cross and they were committing freshman year of high school. And if you commit sophomore year, you're really late. I don't know wow. why the, the uh, sports fluctuate like that, but I think I was honestly on a little bit of the later end and I knew that. So I knew that I, I kind of wanted to push for Virginia tech because I didn't know if offers were going to keep coming in. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So you're, you've made it now to Virginia tech. You love, love the school you visited. Um, I guess you had a little bit of, you put in all the work all those years, obviously on, on your club team and, you know, made yourself available to these scouts and coaches and, you know, going to these showcases and showing off what you got. And uh, we're fortunate to have some of these guys, uh, the right people show up at the right time and see you play. Uh, and so now you made it to, to Virginia Tech high profile program. What, um, what were the, I guess, things you had to do then or the opportunities that you had to kind of take advantage of to get to that next level? And what was maybe just like that your, your thought process mindset through that? And what, what, what were those good fortune moments, I guess, that happened to, to allow you to take that next step? Um, I think the biggest thing is, like I said before, the ACC is known for its soccer, its soccer programs. And with that being said, when you look at a a college soccer schedule for a normal team, teams will play 15 games and 10 of them will be against unranked, unranked opponents. And four or five of them will be against top 25, top 50 teams in the, in the country. When you're in the ACC, Every week, you're playing top 10 teams. We could play on a Wednesday, Notre Dame, who's number one in the country. On a Saturday, UNC, who's number five in the country. Uh, The next Wednesday, you play uh, University of Virginia, who's number four in the country. Just because of how stacked the ACC was at the time that I was there. It still is, and it was before I was there. But when I was there, I think that it was the strongest it had ever been because my junior year... Virginia Tech was ranked number 10 in the country, and there were eight ACC teams ahead of us Wow! ranked in the top 10. So we were on the lower end of the ACC, and we were still top 10 in the country. So that just kind of puts it into perspective of the – and obviously in college soccer, you play um, uh, intra-league a lot. Mm, So we'll play – 15 games and 11 or 12 of them will be in our conference and you play just four out of conference. And that's how it has to be. That's, that's required. So you're required to play all these top 10 teams constantly. So I think that obviously got a lot of eyes on me because these other teams, especially as a goalkeeper, these other teams or other coaches are watching these other teams. They're watching them play me. And they're like, Hmm, this goalkeeper is making saves on the guys I'm supposed to be watching. And that got me attention. Yeah, And so I think it's definitely the schedule of the ACC and putting yourself in a, in a good situation to get eyes on you. And then another thing is if you really want to commit to becoming a professional, you need to commit your time. Uh, I had a lot of friends that in the summer of college would leave college, go home and just party all the time mm. for the whole summer, right? Yeah, yeah. Go home and just have fun with their friends. They have no responsibilities, nothing. Not Sounds until they have to right. go back to college. Exactly. And I gave that up. 
I yeah. went my, after my sophomore year, I flew out to Fresno, California and left home, left Virginia, left Delaware. And for the whole summer, I was in middle of nowhere, Fresno, playing soccer, trying to get attention, trying to, to work hard, play for this team. And I ended up not playing. I didn't play a single minute. Wow. I was there the whole summer. So then I go back to Virginia Tech. I have an okay season. Uh, and then I'm ready to play this PDL again. That's what this league is that I was this summer league is PDL Premier Development League. And I kind of said to myself, are, they, I, I are, need... are those, sorry to cut you off, but are those P, uh, are, uh, are those leagues affiliated to any of the MLS teams or is this totally separate at that point? Um, they He's... could be some of them, okay. some of them could be the team that I end up playing for. So when I was in Fresno, that team was just a, a Fresno city club. Okay. Some person who has no affiliation to MLS uh, teams started it, owned it, ran it, contacted a few college players, brought some college players in for the summer, entered the paperwork to get into the league and play some games. And we went and played some games and I never played one. <laughs> and so I went back to college and I said, look, if I'm spending this much time doing this and putting this much effort into getting this attention, I need to play. You get no attention sitting on the bench. And so after a good college season, I had to really be critical of what team I went to for this summer league. And after already playing for one summer, being on a team and getting kind of having my name on a roster, you get a little bit more attention from the higher teams who said, okay, he's done this before. He knows how it works. He's not a rookie in this league. Uh, and so I got an offer from an Oklahoma team and I was like, okay, this is, this is a good offer. They're a good team. But one, do I want to live in Oklahoma City for the summer? And two, they're not affiliated to anybody that I need watching me. And so I waited. I kind of delayed. I delayed. And I actually committed. I verbally committed. And I think the guy that I was working with is still a little upset. Maybe he's a little bitter. I hope he's gotten over it. But I actually verbally <laughs> committed. And I'll outright say this. This is a little bit on him because I verbally committed. And it took him a month to send me paperwork. Oh, that's too in long. that month, in that month, I got an offer from a different team and it was New York Red Bulls. This is an MLS affiliate team. He said, look, you'll come and be our starter. This was two hours away from home for me versus Oklahoma city. I had friends that were playing on this same team. It was just such a better deal for me. And I said, if I verbally commit to you right now, this process took 48 hours. I said, if I verbally commit to you right now, when will I have paperwork by? And he said, I, I mean, I could send it to you right now. What's your email? I gave my email and I had the paperwork. I wow. said, okay. And I signed it. I sent it back and I called the next the coach from the Oklahoma City team the next day. And I said, look, I, I don't know what happened on your end, but uh, I was waiting for paperwork. I verbally committed. Something else came up. I'm not contractually uh, signed with you. I signed with somebody else. I'm sorry. I hope there's no hard feelings. This is better for me and my career. It's closer to home. Um, and, uh, I'm going with it. I'm sorry. Uh, best luck in the future. And he just said, bye and hung up. Didn't want to wow. hear. Uh, That's so I, I knew of, that was, uh, you snooze, you lose, I guess. I don't know. Exactly. And I knew that was going <laughs> to happen, but at the same time, I had to make that decision of what's best for my career. It's, and my mom had a good point of it is she said, are you going to give up a, a huge aspect of your career just to be nice to this guy? when he hasn't returned the favor and sent you this paperwork, he could have signed you a month ago. 
and he hasn't. Yeah. What's he waiting for? You don't know if he's looking out for other goalkeepers. He could have been, so yeah, right? He could have been yeah. offering, making so other offers. To, there I could have been 10 other man. verbal commits at the same time. Who knows? Exactly. Who knows? Yeah. But so you, you verbally committed. Which team is this now? This is now the New York Red Bulls U23. So if anybody's a soccer follower in the MLS, there's New York Red Bulls. And this is in a, an MLS organization who has their first team, who has a team that plays in the USL Championship, who has a team that plays in the PDL, and then Academy that drips, drips down the line. And yeah. so this Very was where structured. I, yes, exactly. This is where I needed to be. Mm-hmm. And they offered me, they said, look, you come play with our PDL team. Maybe every once in a while, we'll get you in with the professional teams to practice. And that ended up happening. I ended up practicing with the professional teams a lot more than wow. I thought I would, the second team and the first team. And I, so I was in front of those coaches, which I needed to be. That was yeah. huge for me. And not only to be in front of them, that's now on my resume as a soccer player to say, look, I have trained with these top teams. You can bring me in and I will know what's going on. I'll know how it works. I've done it before. And that's attractive to, to other teams. So you have now this Virginia Tech experience where you're playing, you know, you look at your schedule when it comes out each year and there's no games that you can say, I bring my B game to. It's A game for all these top 10, top 25 in the country teams. And then you're also now in the summer working out with these, you know, MLS affiliates. So you're getting eyes on you from two different kind of directions. And so which would you say you think was more beneficial one or the other? Or do you think that they were both equally like the summer was equally as good for exposure as college or one was kind of better than the other? Um, I would say that they're both equal but in different aspects. I would say that the ACC soccer in college was more beneficial for having the right people see me because it was a larger spectrum. But I would say the summer leagues were more beneficial in my development because I was training with the best of the best kids and I was having, being coached by the best of the best coaches, the best coaching I'd, I'd had yet because they were professional coaches nothing against my college coaches, but they're college coaches. And I was being coached by professional coaches. So they were both equal in the development of how I got here, but one was better in the development of who was seeing me. And one was better in the development as me as of me as a player. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, cool. Well, so you're, you're now, you know, getting exposure from all these different directions. And so how does that then translate obviously you have to be playing well to even be on these summer programs but um i'm assuming you're also playing well at virginia tech and maybe a few shutouts here and there i don't know (laughs) um yeah definitely a few shutouts help um at the at the red bull this is i was there in between my junior and senior year and i think that was a perfect time i played really well there i started every game but one uh, it's a lot of good exposure, a lot of good playing time with really high talented kids and going in from that in straight into my college season with pretty much no break, which is fine when I'm a, when I'm a college kid, because my body can handle it going straight into it. I've, I'm feeling good. I'm in good form, which is all about 
of professional soccer players, you need to be in form all the time. And I went straight into my senior season and my team, we, we got a lot of attention. We were highly ranked. We were playing in big games. And I somehow got the attention that I needed in that I became a top prospect for uh, college goalkeepers for the professional, uh, for the draft. And I don't know if this helped me or hurt me, but my college class was one of the strongest classes for goalkeepers that there has been in a while. And I don't know if this has ever happened before, but there were four goalkeepers taken in the first round of my draft. Wow. And I was the 21st overall pick and I was the fourth goalkeeper taken. So again, I don't know if that helps me or hurts wow. me, but goalkeepers were at an abundance at a high level in my draft. Um, so I was one of the top prospects because of this attention I was getting. And then my senior year, I had some agents uh, reach out to me and I, I interviewed with a bunch of them and I ended up signing with the Stellar Group and Ali McKay, who has since moved on. And now I'm with Patrick McCabe of the Stellar Group. And they're obviously playing a huge part in getting me into the professionals because they know how all of that world works. I yeah. only know college. That's all I know. I know yeah. go to class, go to practice, go to class, go to a game. Whole new world, so I, huh? Exactly. And so I need somebody to get my foot in the door in the professionals. And that's what an agent is there for. And so I started working with my agent and they're reaching out the team saying, look at, look at my guy. He's doing this. He's doing that. He's done this. He's done this. Uh, and you, he gets my name out there for people to hear. He puts my name in as many people's ears as possible so that I have as many eyes on me as possible. And making the NCAA tournament is good. That's a huge exposure as well. And it ended up being that I was taking in the first round of the uh, MLS Super Draft. I was taking 21 overall uh, to the Columbus crew. And I went and spent two years there. And that was kind of another whirlwind of emotion of being on teams because then I was loaned out my first year and I never played on loan because of this guy in front of me. Uh, and then I went back to the Columbus crew and they signed me again. And then I went on loan again to the Pittsburgh Riverhounds where I played a few games. I made my professional debut. I had some good games. I dealt with an injury, which held me out of games. And then Columbus ended up releasing me. Wow. And now I'm here at Atlanta United. So that's obviously an incredible feat, like just to be drafted to any professional sport. And 21st overall is amazing. Uh, the fact that there are four goalkeepers, I, I that feels like a lot for, um, in the first round. But I mean, like you said, good class. So I'm just... Curious, because this is a concept that's kind of unique to soccer that I don't think a lot of other sports. I saw it done in hockey recently, but like this loan situation where you loan players. Like, what? Why? Why? Why do they draft somebody to just loan them out? Is it because there's too many players at that position, but they think that they'll need you down the line, or how does that work? Yeah, that's spot on. So what they do is they they draft you or so-called sign you so that they own you so that you can play for nobody else unless they give you permission. Mm. And so when you think of uh, baseball, the baseball has triple a double a single a all these minor leagues where it's, it could be younger guys developing. That's what this is for a loan in the soccer world in the U S there's the MLS major league soccer, which is the top league. Then below that, which is what I played in this year, is the USL 
championship, the United Soccer League championship, and they recognize themselves as the second division in U.S. soccer. So they're under MLS. And then under that is United Soccer League, League One, which is the third. They recognize themselves as the third division. So in terms of baseball, you have Major League Baseball, AAA, AA, you move down. I, there might be some other leagues in there. I'm not a huge baseball guy. But that's pretty much what it is. So the Columbus crew drafted me. They were the top of the top, MLS. So what they did was when I was drafted, they had three guys ahead of me in my position. So I'm not going to play. I'm never going to play. But as a professional athlete, playing games is the purest form of developing. That's the best way to develop is playing games. So I'm never going to play a game for the Columbus crew until I develop. But how do I develop if I can't play games because there's somebody in front of me? So they loan you to a lesser team, a team in a lower division. There's younger guys. The talent level maybe isn't as high. The money is nowhere near as high. And so hopefully you get in and play a game there. So I was loaned to the Indian uh, Indy 11 in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, my girlfriend and I moved out at the time and we absolutely loved it there, but I didn't play a single game because when I was signed, that team obviously that team is not there to develop Ben Lungard. That team is there to try and win a championship. So yeah. when they brought me in, they brought in another goalkeeper as well. And that goalkeeper had a lot more experience than me. He was actually the backup goalkeeper for the Welsh national team. And he had 350 professional appearances. Wow. And I just came from college. <laughs> so... <laughs> In terms of pecking order, I was not at the top. Yeah. So, again, that team is not there. Okay, we signed this good guy, but we're going to hear we're going to develop Ben Lundgaard. No, we're here. We're going to try and win a championship is what the team is thinking. So, I never played. I never got the opportunity. And how much do you think, like, Columbus negotiated that for you to play? Because I would think that if I drafted this kid, I want him to – if I'm going to loan him, I want him to play somewhere. So – I guess did like did that not cross like did they not think that through or did they realize that you would have to compete with this Welsh national guy that has 350 games under his belt? I think it's a mix in that I'm sure the crew tried pushing for me to play every game, but I don't think you can just throw that in a contract. I don't yeah. think any cl any club would sign off on that and saying, we're going to play this guy every single game who we know nothing about. Yeah. They didn't scout me. Indy 11 did not scout me. Columbus crew called them and said, Hey, would you take one of our players okay. for the season? So they know nothing about me. Gotcha. They just know my name. Okay. They don't know how tall I am. So they're not just going to throw into a contract. Yeah, we'll play him every game. Right, right. So they'll say, yeah, sure. He can come and compete. He, we can give him a spot on the roster and he can compete because they don't care that Indy 11 is not paying me. Columbus right. is not paying me. So they're like, oh, free player? Yeah, we'll take him. I got um, you. So they're like, yeah, you can you can come compete. That's fine. And then I think actually the crew didn't know that they were signing this new guy either because I signed my paperwork to go on loan. And then not even 24 hours, they signed this other guy. So I don't think the crew knew anything about it. Wow. So I think it was a little bit of misfortune there in that yeah. I was I was put in a tough situation where I was just never going to play. You didn't have a and chance. So yeah. exactly. I didn't have a chance. That was just kind of the way of the road. And I kind of had to had to sit through it and see see what would what would happen next for me.
And so you, you, you went through that season, you come back to Columbus and they loaned you out again. Yeah, they loaned me out to uh, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. And um, this was, again, the same situation where they said, hey, we'd love to get them games, but you can't really throw it into a contract. So I went there. I started competing. um, And I knew that I had to play games. And now I knew that here on Pittsburgh, they didn't have this 30-year-old professional who had been playing pro for 12 years. So I had a chance. I had an opportunity. And me, and he's actually a good buddy of mine, Kyle Morton now, uh, he was there at the time. He was coming back from ACL surgery the year before. And he and I were competing for the number one spot. And he played a game. I played a game. He played a game. I played a game. And our coach was, was trying to weigh the games and see who had the starting spot. And after our four games, I played the next three. So maybe I had it. We don't know. I started playing professional games and Columbus was loving it. I was playing well. I had, I've made my, obviously my professional debut. I had two professional shutouts. Wow. Um, I was making saves. I was winning games. Everything was going great. And this is a side note. Back in high school, I had a stress fracture in my L5 vertebrae. So I broke my back. Wow. And I've just been dealing with it ever since. I'm actually still dealing with it today. And it's something that is, is never going to go away for me. Unfortunately, it's a part of my life now in that I will have back issues for a long time. So I have to keep it strong. I have to stay in form. I have to keep playing. I can't get lazy with it. But so what I'm getting at is I was playing really well. I was getting games. Everything was flowing smoothly for me. And I'm sidelined with this back injury for it was about a month and a half, two months. So not ideal. If it was a week, fine, but it was a long time. And I actually had to uh, go up to my coach and say, coach, I can't play tomorrow. It was the day before the game. And I said, look, my back is absolutely killing me. I know what it is. I know the pain. I know what's happened because I've done it before. There's a lot of inflammation in my back. Uh, Luckily, it's not nerves. It's all muscles and ligaments around my vertebrae. But I knew what happened. It it had happened to me so many times before in in college and the year before. And I said, coach, I can't play. I know I can't. I need to do therapy. I need to do some rehab. I need to see a doctor. I need to get some treatment. Uh, And I did. And it ended up taking a lot longer than I thought. I thought if I pulled myself early, it it would help. And it didn't. And then when I came back from injury, the spot was gone. Kyle Morton was playing. He was doing really well. Keeping shutouts. And in the world of goalkeeping, it goes, it goes back to the old adage. You don't fix what's not broken. Kyle was playing well. He was doing his job. We were winning games. Why, why change it if it's going well? So Mm. the spot was gone and I didn't play another game. And then the crew called me back from loan the year it ended. And I went back to Columbus for a few games. Uh, and obviously I'm not on the bench. I'm not starting cause there's guys ahead of me and it ended up not going so well. And then at the end of the year, the crew ended up releasing me and it just, it hadn't worked out. And that's a part of pro pro sports. And at the time I was really, really mad. I was confused. I was upset. I was like, look, both of these years haven't gone my way. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what I could have done. I think I've developed as a player and it's part of pro sports. They're not, they're not a team that's saying, hey, again, we're going to develop this guy, Ben Lungard. They're a team that's trying to win championships. And if I'm not helping that, then they've got to go a different direction. 
And that's the sad reality of sports. Um, and so again, back at that time, I was really upset. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what happened. It was pretty much getting fired from a job unexpectedly. Yeah. You know, you just, you just kind of dropped you're like, wait, I am no longer a professional athlete. What's happening. Do you feel like so, that was like a, one of the low moments of your career so far? I think as a soccer player, it was the lowest right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, hopefully there's nothing, nothing lower, but uh, yeah. yes, for sure. That was the lowest moment. So, uh, but I like where I am now. And I think that I say back then I was upset because now I'm not. Now I'm realizing that I'm in an incredible situation here in Atlanta where a lot of things have been going my way and me putting in hard work has has helped develop those those opportunities. So so you got fired essentially and you go to your agent I guess at that point and you're like what's next is that kind of how it goes down? Yes. And so right after I got let go, I was in a meeting and I was released and they said, we're not going to resign you. And five minutes later, I'm on the phone with my agent and he pretty much said to me, he said, look, Ben, I know this is tough. I know it's hard. It's not what we wanted, but this is why you pay me. This is why I'm here now. This is where I go to work. You just need to go see your family. You need to relax. You need to move out of Columbus because obviously there's nothing left for me there. Um, so me and my girlfriend moved out and my agent said to me, look, you need to enjoy these next month or two because we're going to get you on a team. And then we have more soccer to play in the future. So that obviously helped having the, the comfort from, from somebody who knew what was going to happen. He knew he had dealt with this before he helped me through it. Uh, obviously my family was there for me in, in a tough time. Uh, and it's like getting fired from a job without looking for a job to replace this yet. You're like, holy cow, I have to move fast. And in the soccer world, it was fast because the upcoming season was, we only had a few months off for the off season. So the, the next season's coming up. So we had to get moving with, with contracts and, and talking to teams. And if they want to see me, if they want to talk to me before they sign me, things like that, we had to get moving. Yeah. So my, my agent completely took the reins there. He said, look, this is where I go to work. This is where I, I step in. And so he and I didn't talk for, for about a month wow. just because these teams they are finished with the season. All the staff go on vacation as well. Cause they've just finished this long nine, 10 month season. So they're going on vacation. So you don't talk for a while. And then before about midway through the off season, he's on the phone constantly dealing with his players, trying to find teams who players who need teams talking to them. Uh, and he reached out to me and I had a few offers from teams and this is where I saw the opportunity having multiple offers to find the best situation for myself to develop and to make a career out of being a professional. And that was one of the most important things for me because, again, I talk about all this good fortune that you need. You need a little bit of that. When I was in Columbus, I would have had to beat out three different guys. It wasn't like I have to beat one guy and I'm the top guy. I had to beat out three guys. I was fourth string. That's a, that's a long ladder to climb. Yeah, that is. Wow. So, so I, had, I had to pick a team that was going to be best for my future. And what were, what were the options? What, what were the offers you had? Um, I just had a few offers from – I didn't have any MLS offers. I had a few offers from USL championship teams, and I didn't know about a few of them. 
like who I knew the teams, but I didn't know what they offered, what they were about, how long yeah. they've been in the league, what how good of a team they are, who their coaches are. I didn't know a lot about them. And that's again where I speak to my agent who who he knows the team. He says, Yeah, I know this coach, he's okay. Yeah, I know this staff, he's okay, they're okay. Uh, and then he said to me, he said, Look, Atlanta's a great situation for you. They have the first team, so you'll have first team coaches looking at you. They have a good second team, they have great coaching, they have unbelievable facilities. And they'll they'll pay you well, which yeah. is the situation that I'm in now. That's awesome. So it ended up working out. I'm sure that decision making process was a little stressful. But what did it when you kind of did your research and talked to your agent? Did it, was it clear at the end of the the conversations that you had that Atlanta was the right move? Yes. Okay. Yeah. If we made a pros and cons list of everything and every club, Atlanta was head over heels, the top, the top club. And I'm lucky to have a offer from them because it ended up working really well. And those offers, are they, I guess you did have some tape and fortunately you were able to play some games when you were on, on loan, uh, uh, your, your second time around on loan with, uh, out of Columbus. But, um, w- was it, were those offers kind of dependent on you having some existing tape at that level? Yes. That and that, so you see in today's sports, you see, oh my gosh, look at this prospect. He's going to be a, in baseball, a hundred million dollar prospect. And then you look at somebody who's equal skill wise, but he's three or four years younger. And they're like, oh my goodness, look at this guy. Like he's the real deal. If he's at this level right here is at this with this guy, but he's five years younger and we can develop him for even longer. Look at this guy. So as a goalkeeper, I could play until I'm 40. There's guys out there playing at 42 right now that are goalkeepers. Wow. For a, a, as we say, field player, the other 10 guys, other 10 positions, you could go until you're, unless you're Zlatan or Cristiano or Ronaldo, you could go until you're 33 or 35 max maybe. Okay. So I have an extra five years on my career. So being a... 24 year old free agent some of these teams are looking at me as like an 18 year old free agent so there's also the factor of yes he's played a few games but he's young for his position and where he's at in his career we could develop him so they're also looking at that if I was 28 maybe they're saying okay where's his level now we need to see if we we like that because there's maybe not as much development that's going to happen in the next year or two Right. At that point, maybe you have to be ready to play. Either, you know, there wouldn't be a lot as much wiggle room. So that makes exactly. sense to me. Yeah, exactly. So I guess now that you are a pro, I mean, and you've kind of talked about this a bit, but I mean, it you there was a process, uh, a clear process that you talked about in making it to the pro level and kind of like, I need to attend this. I need to be uh, you know, part of a club team, maybe, uh, you know, attend the, all these different events, get exposure to these, these people. And then in college, I'm going to go play in the summers and I'm going to go, uh, try to find, uh, someone that's affiliated to, to, you know, to the MLS team. And I'm, you know, playing in the sec, we got to make it to the NCAA tournament. So there's, although it's not a clear path, there's different steps that you knew you had to take to get to the pro level. Now that you are a pro, like has has your mindset changed now? And I guess maybe this 
you know, kind of getting released by Columbus and, and you might, you know, might've been a rude awakening in some, some sort of uh, way, but do you feel like there's a different mindset that you've had to take on to how you can last and develop in, in this profession and stay a long time? For sure. A hundred percent. And it kind of, I think it took me the two years at Columbus to realize this in that college, your mindset is I need to have as good of a game as possible, even if it's out of my skin and I might not be able to maintain it every single game because this one coach or one scout might only be there for one game and maybe he's going to see you. That's your mentality in college and in the ACC, that's, you could have different scouts and different teams at any game at any moment. It could be a Tuesday or Wednesday night. They could be there. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, you don't know, but you have to play like that versus being a professional. They don't care if you have one great game, they need to see development. They need to see that their money is being invested in a stock that is continually rising. They need to, they don't want to see ups and downs. They don't want to see, oh, he's awesome Tuesday, Wednesday, he's terrible, Thursday, he's awesome, Friday, he's terrible. They need to see a steady climb. And so this is what I didn't, I wish if I could go back and talk to my younger me, I would tell myself this going into the professionals with Columbus Crew in that you need to develop. You can't just go out every day and just try and throw everything at the wall and be as good as you can, even if you're crashing for the next day. You need to develop a little bit every day, like a little 1% every single day you need to get better. And I think that's what I've done here at Atlanta. And I think my stock has gone up. I think I've developed the most I ever have in my career here in Atlanta in one year versus multiple years at other places because I have a different mindset in that 1% every day leads to uh, long-term success versus ups and downs. Wow. So I guess anyone listening, take that, take that to heart because um, I guess we can, all, we can only learn from each other's, uh, you know, failures and mistakes and, and insight. So I think that that's definitely good advice and, and even transferable outside of sports when I think about it, just like we don't need to be superheroes every day, just be better than your, yourself the day before. For sure. And I think you can apply it to it an everyday job where your boss doesn't want to see you. If you give a project in every Friday, he doesn't want to see one Friday. You absolutely kill it. Next Friday. It's terrible. Next Friday. You do great. Next Friday. It's terrible. He doesn't want to see that. He wants to see every single project gets a little bit better and a little bit better. Cause in his mind, he's like, Oh my gosh, in two years, this dude's going to be killing it. Mm. Not two years. Oh, what day? If he presents to <laughs> this huge company, is it going to be a good day or a bad day? That's yeah. not what he wants to see. No, no presentations Monday morning for me. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm with you on that, though. So, so we talked a little bit about your route, kind of the opportunities that have presented themselves, the the kind of the low moments or the the lowest moment there that you had, and kind of how you bounce back your mindset shift and so now just like a little bit more on the the technical side or your day-to-day on you know on the field um some people just have weird superstitions pre-match so i was just curious 
if you had any weird ones or if there's anything, even if it's just like a basic routine that you do to get you ready for, for your, your, your match. I know that there's a lot of weird pre-match rituals out there. I don't think I have any weird ones. I do have some uh, in my warm-up. I like all of the repetitions to be the same numbers. Every game, they have to be the same. If I'm taking this many shots, it has to be that many shots every single game. If I'm doing this many dives, it has to be that many dives every single game. Good or bad, it's the same, no matter what. Uh, then there's even a few if, sw- Wait, even if you end on a bad rep? No, no, never end on a bad rep. Never, <laughs> never. I was just going to go- say... That's Even me like, playing pickup basketball, I can't, I can't leave unless yeah, I make a yeah, shot. <laughs> that's, that's a fair point. But I've done that before where I'm like, I have to fight it. Do I need my perfect rep or do I need to end on a good rep? So every time I'm on my last rep, the focus skyrockets because I don't want to be put in that situation. Again. Yeah. <laughs> but be- back to that, it's like it's always left sock, right sock, left cleat, right cleat, things like that where you just get into – once you once you look at yourself and you're like okay game time it's time to focus you're done chit-chatting with your friends you're you're dressed it's time to go that's when everything kind of gets in sync of every single game where you go out at the same time every time before kickoff for like 44 minutes before kickoff it has to be the exact same all the time just because you want to build this foundation that you're going into the game feeling as good as possible and there does you don't want there to be a lot of okay I, I get a 30 minute warm up here I get a 40 minute warm up there you don't want it to fluctuate a lot you just want to you want to be consistent and you want to be steady for your performance I like it so you preach consistency same thing every every pregame pre mm-hmm. pre match so so you you got your warm up you're you're set there now you're in the match how do you stay locked in i'm just thinking for my for myself I used to play little league baseball back in the day and in little league baseball, they put me in right field. I learned that baseball wasn't my sport, but they put me in right field and no action, three, four innings. You start to pick the grass and see, you know, kick the dirt or something and you lose your focus. Now that's me. Not, not a professional baseball player, obviously, but, I imagine that when the ball's on the other side of the field and your team's doing what they got to do, it's easy to lose focus. So just curious, how do you maintain your, you know, stay locked in for 90, 90 plus minutes, really? Well, thinking of when I was a kid, actually, I played baseball for a year as well. And I thought <laughs> the exact same thing. I just, and all, if you, if you're a baseball lover or you play baseball, I am sorry. Baseball is not my sport. I don't hate <laughs> the sport, but it's not for me. It was too boring for me to go from <laughs> soccer and lacrosse where you're just constantly running. I couldn't do baseball. Um, but for games as a professional and in college, I think of myself as a goalkeeper, as a very verbal goalkeeper. And goalkeepers are totally different. You'll find keepers that don't talk. They don't say a word because they want to focus on themselves. They want to focus on what they're doing, how the game's developing, and they don't want to talk. They don't want to communicate. They don't want to be yell- shouting and yelling. And But me, you'll hear me. You'll hear me the entire game. And that is how I stay focused and locked in is that when I communicate to my teammates, obviously it has to be the correct information. So I have to be watching the game the entire time. 
Mm. And I actually, my freshman year of college, I lost focus once and I got caught from my coach. So in college, you have your fans and they put the stands right behind the goals so that the fans can heckle you and bug you and, and just chirp you the whole game and stuff. And there's this old one where when I'm not doing a lot, they count your footsteps or they say, right, left, right, left, right. And they had been going for like five minutes to see how long they could go for. And the ball was at the other end. I hadn't seen it in a long time. We were up 3-0 and I was young. I was a freshman. I was like, things are going great. I have a shutout. What's there to lose? And so what I do is I'm walking up the field. I start hopping on my right foot and they go, right, right, right. And they just start, all, they all start dying of laughter because I'm sitting there hopping on my right foot. And I, I hear my coach, Ben, I look over and my head coach is just staring at me. He's like, what the hell are you doing? And I was oh, like, oh man. my God. This was like my second game as a freshman. I was like, I'm done for. I'm, I'm so, I've lost my spot. I'm done for. And so we ended up winning the game. Everything was fine. But he ended up yelling at me after the game. He's like, dude, you can't be doing that. You can't just give them the attention they want. You have to stay focused. But. I always laugh about it now. I was really nervous at the time when I, when I thought I screwed up, but I always laugh about it now. But for me, it's communication, staying locked in just because of my position specifically where it's so easy to be out of the game for long periods of time. That's awesome. That's a, that's a, that's a good one. I, I love when uh, I used to go to, uh, I'm a baseball fan, even though I, I'm not a player, but I, I used to go to uh, Yankee Stadium as a kid and in, uh, in the bleachers, they called you bleacher creatures, but um, you'd like, there's always a road call and you try to get each player to like acknowledge you in, from the fan, from the stand. So yeah, uh, you, uh, you fell for it that time, but uh, I, I did. I, I gave them the attention <laughs> they were looking for. Yeah. 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 That's cool though. That, so you're basically uh, your way of kind of staying locked in is being more vocal and, and, and that keeps you kind of tuned in. Exactly. Yep. Cool. So um, last question here. And this one, um, you know, just I think that there's a lot of clear kind of ideals of what a good goalie is. And maybe part of that is, you know, your physical frame and your hands and your ability to move your feet. But what do you think is the most underrated quality of a goalkeeper? I'm going to give you an answer that I think only applies in current day soccer. I think if you go back 10 years ago, it wouldn't apply. I think as a goalkeeper, you're thought of always using your hands. And I think the most underrated quality of a goalkeeper nowadays is having the ability to use your feet equally to the players that are in front of you on the field, which back in the day, it was like, no, goalkeeper, hands, field player, feet, done deal. That's all. But today's game, coaches have started changing their team style in that they're like, if I have my goalkeeper use his feet, instead of it being 10 v 10, it's now 11, including my goalkeeper versus 10 players. So we're, we go a man up. So you can move the ball differently. You can play differently. You can, you can manipulate the other team differently. And I think that is how Atlanta United plays. So I see that now in that they want me to use my feet. They want me to play out of the back instead of just playing kickball, where maybe you'll look at watch some soccer games and the, the goalkeeper will just kick it as far as he can down the field and the team will try and pick up second balls and, and win it off the other team. But now it's all about building from the back. It's about developing the play and the attack 
from the goalkeeper, starting with me. So how does so, that look? Maybe I'm I'm more visual. Like what would a play what would what would be the the action? So a very simple way to think about it is when you hear of a soccer formation, just like football has their formations, you you you'd say it a four-four-two. So you think four defenders, four midfielders, and two attackers. And you think of them as lines, a line of four, a line of four, a line of two. And in soccer, you want to play a lot of breaking lines. So if I play with the ball at my feet, the attackers are, they could come and press me. Not all teams do. They want to come up the field and attack it. If I can break that first line with myself, because the two attackers are defending two defenders. So if I break that line, the ball is past two people. If I can play it appropriately to a teammate, they can turn, they can break a different line. You can move up the field and exit, exit the defenders out of the picture so that when you look at the goal, there's only a few people in front of you. It's kind of tough to see. No, no, for me, I like that. I'm going to look for it, that now when I watch. It's all about manipulating the other team and getting them in a position that you want and then knowing how to execute and beat them in that formation. Hmm. I like that. I wasn't expecting that as an answer, but I, do, I like that. Very cool. <laughs> so I think we hit on a lot this, uh, uh, during this discussion. And uh, I just wanted to say that you've been a, a really great to have on the podcast. And thank you so much for joining. It's Ben well, Lungard. Thanks for having me. It, it's been fun. Uh, I look forward to listening to it. And yeah. uh, if you're listening, thanks for listening. Uh, it was a joy to talk about. And if you have more questions, I guess shoot them to me on, on uh, social media. I'm on all of them. So except it's for ben. TikTok, I'm not, on, I'm not on TikTok. Ben underscore Lungard. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. Find him there. Thank you. You've been listening to Talk the Chalk with John Schreier. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to tell a friend. Also, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on whatever platform you use to listen.